If you're still deciding on your spring break getaway, Amtrak's got just the ticket. You can visit cities from D.C. and Philly to New York and Boston, all while enjoying more sustainable travel. Amtrak produces up to 83% less carbon emissions than traveling by car or plane. And did we mention the extra legroom and comfy seats? Book early and save at Amtrak.com. Click or tap the banner. Emissions comparisons vary depending on route and locomotive type. Restrictions may apply. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. Welcome to As a Woman, Fertility Hormones and Beyond. I'm your host, Dr. Natalie Crawford, and I am a board-certified OBGYN and fertility physician and also co-founder of Fora Fertility in Austin, Texas. Each week on this podcast, I discuss health and fertility and how they relate to your true self. Become a part of the community of collaboration that amplifies others as a woman. I hope you enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome back to the As A Woman podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Natalie Crawford. I'm a board-certified OBGYN and REI, and we are in the middle of our fertility Q&A series where you're asking questions, I am answering them, and we are grouping them by topic. This podcast exists for you to learn more about your body and your fertility, as does all my other social platforms. So feel free to follow along on Instagram at Natalie Crawford MD or check out the YouTube if you like video or more bite-sized content. Every Monday over on Instagram, we do have a Q&A segment where you can ask your questions and they'll get answered on Instagram in some of our regular podcast episodes and in the weekly newsletter. You can sign up for the newsletter at nataliecrawfordmd.com slash newsletter. If you have your own fertility questions, you can call and leave your own voicemail at 657-229-3672. Again, that is 657-229-3672. When you leave your voicemail, go ahead and just give as much information as you want, and we will be answering it when we can. Again, these are my absolute favorite episodes because I know that there is so much that you can learn, and you can listen to me blab for 45 minutes, or you can go listen to me really talk forever over on the Huberman Lab on the podcast I did over there. But you often do not process information as good as you do when somebody asks you a question. And that is why these Q&A episodes, I absolutely love them because you can get the answers to your questions, but also you'll probably get answers to questions that you didn't even know you had. So we are going to dive into this a little bit more and go ahead and get started. Today's episode is all about IVF. There is going to be an episode on embryo transfer as well. I'm sure it'll be touched on here, but this is about IVF and then embryo transfer will be second. To separate these again, if we think about the general process of IVF very quickly in the fastest way that I can say it, every month you have a group of eggs that comes out of the vault that is ready to start growing. In a normal cycle, one of these eggs is chosen to grow and the rest of them die. In IVF or in vitro fertilization, in the glass, referring to the petri dish inside the lab. What we're doing is taking medications 
that's called the protocol, to try to get the entire group of eggs to grow. The size of the group or the number of eggs you can get with IVF is going to be dependent upon your age and your ovarian reserve, AMH and antral follicle count. The goal of the protocol is to try to get that whole group to grow, which your body does not want to allow happen because your body doesn't want to have five or 10 or 20 babies at one time. So we're really overriding the normal brain ovary connection when we try to do IVF. You then will undergo a procedure to take the eggs out of your body. And this is called the egg retrieval, where we attach a needle to a vaginal ultrasound intervaginally and puncture each follicle in the ovary, drain the follicular fluid and get test tubes full of your eggs. Sperm and egg will then be combined either with conventional fertilization, which is where the eggs are in a dish and the sperm is just squirted on top, or with a type of fertilization called ICSI, I-C-S-I, intracytoplasmic sperm injection, where an embryologist will take a sperm, pull it up into a catheter, and inject that into the central portion of the egg, helping out with fertilization. The day of the egg retrieval is considered day zero, and these embryos have to grow out until they can be put back in the body. Traditional modern medicine is growing embryos to the blastocyst stage, which is a day five or six. This is the normal time frame of implantation. These embryos are day five embryos. That's when they should make the blastocyst stage. That's when we consider day five to be the best. Day six embryos made it to day five. It just took them a little bit longer. When IVF first started, we were transferring embryos at day three, mostly because we didn't really understand the metabolic needs that the embryos had to keep them alive in the lab. Now that we know, we see improved outcomes, improved selection. You do not have to transfer as many embryos by getting them to the blastocyst stage. They also survive the freeze-thaw better, have higher implantation and pregnancy rates, and you can do genetic testing. When you do IVF, if you put an embryo back on day five, for example, and then freeze the rest of them, that's considered a fresh transfer. If you just freeze all the embryos or you biopsy them and freeze them, that is ending the IVF process and the embryo transfer is subsequent in a frozen embryo transfer zone. Fresh embryo transfers were the standard of care 15, 20 years ago. It's all we had. Embryos did not survive the freeze-thaw very well. As freezing techniques have improved significantly, we are now seeing more people do majority of frozen embryo transfers. We see better fetal outcomes. We're able to improve selection of the embryos, transfer fewer embryos, and ultimately make the best plan for your family building. If you're doing a fresh transfer, it's not an option for everybody. I think that's the shortest answer before we dive into the questions. I have had infertility. I've had pregnancy loss. So I completely understand the desire to get pregnant as fast as possible. However, on my side of the table and doing this for a decade, I know that my job is really to do whatever it takes to help you have the highest chance of getting pregnant and to help break down the differences in where you might be compromising outcome or success in the spirit of time. So short answer, let's view IVF as getting eggs to grow, taking them out of the body, fertilizing them in the lab and growing embryos out. And with that, we are going to jump in to our questions. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Quince. My closet has a tendency to get chaotic and crammed with a bunch of clothes that I don't really want to wear. What's been a game changer for me 
has been upgrading to high quality and affordable pieces from Quince. Now I have a wardrobe full of luxury and classic essentials and I stayed on budget. The best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands and they do this by partnering directly with top factories, cutting out the middleman and passing the savings on to us. In addition, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing and premium products and finishes. I personally am loving the linen pieces as it's Texas and summer is upon us. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com A-A-W for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot A-A-W to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com A-A-W. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Caraway. Spring is coming and I always love a good home reset. Non-toxic cookware is the perfect way for you to kick off your own spring cleaning. With so many collections to explore, there is a caraway for every cook. Their internet famous kitchenware is a staple for any home. It comes with beautiful shades to fit your aesthetic, but most importantly, you're ditching the chemicals. Caraway's non-toxic kitchenware comes a chemical-free ceramic coating so your food can be prepared without any of those hard-to-pronounce chemicals leaching in to your healthy ingredients. Everybody knows that I am a big believer that our environment impacts our body, and that's why I trust Caraway with my cooking. Visit carawayhome.com A-A-W to take advantage of this limited-time offer for 10% off your next purchase. This deal is exclusive for our listeners, so visit carawayhome.com A-A-W or use the code A-A-W at checkout. Caraway non-toxic cookware made modern. Hi, Dr. Natalie Crawford. I am calling, uh, first of all, this voicemail thing is awesome, and I'm calling to just ask, I am curious, how many egg freezing cycles is safe and healthy across the board, but a few concerns. Of course, I'm aware of ovarian hyperstimulation. Uh, I'm maybe referring to that as the wrong terminology, but, and also in the fine print of the egg freezing paperwork that I signed, it mentions cancer as a potential concern. I'm curious because you do such a good job of speaking about the medical standpoint, the data side of all of this. If you have any data that supports that multiple rounds of egg freezing can lead to a higher risk of cancer. I have, I'm now in my third egg freeze cycle. I'm eligible for a fourth through my benefit. Fortunately, I have that and I would love to use it, but I also cannot find accurate data on how dangerous it is potentially cancer-wise in the end. So if you can answer this, it would be amazing. And you are my favorite podcast now. Thank you so much for your perspective and everything. You rock. I think these are some really great questions about egg freezing that really correlates into understanding more about the egg retrieval procedure and why some of these limitations have been set for donor eggs and then extrapolated to people who are freezing their own eggs or IVF. And it's not the same. The first thing, if we're going to hit on egg freezing, just to know best age to freeze your eggs is going to be under age 35 really between 32 to 33 has been shown to be the absolute best. You often need about 20 eggs to get to a baby at a minimum. When you look at cumulative rates from studies, probability of a live birth, if you thaw 10 eggs 
is going to be 60% if you are under age 35 and 30% if you are over it. So age is huge. The younger you are and the more eggs you have, the better this pans out for you. So why might you hear, well, you can only freeze your eggs six times, then you're cut off. It just shows lack of understanding or even critical thinking, if we want to put it that way. All the data on limitations for the number of retrievals you should do, it comes from donor eggs. Now, these are people who are going through to donate their eggs for other people to use them. Egg donation has been going on for a while. There was an original document that ASRM put out in 2014 or so that had the limitation at six. In that document, there are all the different reasons why. One of them listed was possible cancer risk. Doesn't say could cause cancer, just possible cancer risk. And that's been perpetuated on and on and on. ASRM put out an updated document here in 2020. And if we look at this document, the number one reason to limit the number of times somebody can donate eggs is the risk of inadvertent consanguinity, meaning incest. The more eggs you've donated to the more places, the more pregnancies that could exist, and the more chances the gene pool is getting limited instead of more diverse. Now we know with a limited gene pool or with consanguinity, one of the biggest risks here is genetic errors get multiplied and you see some very rare genetic syndromes that can start to happen. So number one, the risk of just spreading your genes too much. This also goes hand in hand with lack of anonymity. You think you're donating your eggs anonymously, but Nothing's anonymous in today's world, and we can only expect that direct-to-consumer genetic testing is going to improve. Therefore, six cycles to limit narrowing of the gene pool. Now, if we look at just risks that IVF egg retrievals have in general, we do know that there are some risks, right? Nothing is risk-free. Number one, ovarian stimulation in general can put somebody at risk for OHSS, which is ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome. This risk is 1-2% to per retrieval, and of course, egg donors have a higher risk because for for the most part, they're younger, they're not infertility patients, they have a higher egg count. The more eggs you have, the higher the risk. So we have a higher cumulative risk if you have 1% to 2% per cycle, and now you've done six cycles. So higher lifetime risk of OHSS. OHSS can make you acutely sick, but it can be very bad. You can get peritoneal infections, you can get blood clots, you can have kidney failure. It's not benign. Number two, the risk to each individual person undergoing an egg retrieval, the most serious, real, although small risks, less than a half a percent is an acute complication such as a pelvic infection, bleeding, or ovarian torsion. These risks are very rare, but not zero. There's also risks with anesthesia. And so the more times that you're exposed to anesthesia or you're exposed to having a needle in your belly, we are increasing the aggregate risk that you might have an 8 to 13% chance of an adverse effect over the course of all of these. So we're taking rare outcomes that we're not typically very concerned about and just magnifying that for you as an individual person may be an issue. Data does not support, I'm going to read this, the preponderance of data does not demonstrate an association between the use of ovarian stimulation agents and cancer, including ovarian and breast cancer. Moreover, the current understanding of the pathogenesis of ovarian cancer is rapidly evolving, calling into question traditional theories of the relationship between nulliparity and ovarian cancer. Meaning 
We have previously said that ovarian remodeling is when ovarian cancer happens, when you're on birth control pills or not ovulating, such as pregnancy and breastfeeding, we decrease the overall lifetime risk of ovarian cancer. And one of the issues with egg donation appeared to be a double-edged sword. You're not getting pregnant, so you're not sitting out of that ovulation time period. And the healing process from the egg retrieval is that greater. This was all hypothetical. Egg retrievals have been going on for a long time now. The oldest IVF baby is 42. So we know the stimulation medications and the egg retrieval. We feel confident saying that we're not seeing an increase in cancer or any cancers associated with this. Other concerns I hear about all the time. This was even question one brought up when I was on the Huberman podcast. Well, I don't want to do IVF or freeze my eggs or donate my eggs because I'll run out of eggs. No, no, no evidence supports the fact that taking eggs out decreases your reserve of eggs. The way we like to think about it is that one month, the eggs outside the vault, they're either going to ovulate or die. And so we are just stimulating them to grow in this cycle instead of letting them die off. But there hasn't been any evidence supporting that IVF, egg freezing, or repetitive donation associated with a decrease in ovarian reserve. And then, of course, there's always risk of regret or wishing you hadn't donated your eggs, psychological risks. And so this limitation, they said in 2020, they recommended we stay with six cycles because of the culmination of all of these things for egg donors. Now, nobody says that you should stick to six cycles if you're undergoing IVF for yourself because these are your eggs and we're trying to help you achieve a family goal. We're not worried about loss of anonymity or inadvertent consanguinity or psychological risks of regret, and then certain long-term reproductive outcomes such as an increase in cancer risk or a drop in your ovarian reserve. Also, there's nothing to support that, and IVF and egg retrieval and stimulation has been around. Yes, the more cycles you do, the cumulative procedure risks are going to increase, and that's something you'll have to accept to keep going. But in the long run, you need more eggs. If you're egg freezing for yourself, the more the merrier, the more children you want, the more eggs you should have. And I wouldn't let a potential risk of, or a hypothetical idea that there could be a potential risk of an increase in cancer that's put in a consent form from a hypothesis from over a decade ago that hasn't been proven in studies, prevent me from freezing the eggs that I want to freeze or doing the cycles that I want to do to try to get to my embryo number for my future family. Hi, Dr. Crawford. This is Janai. My 29-year-old partner I'm also 29, are planning to do reciprocal IVF and starting with their egg, my uterus. And I'm just curious if you have any idea or specific differences in transfer, embryo transfer protocols that would be needed um, in this situation. The only sort of data that I can seem to find that would relate is donor egg, but not sure if that's really the best place to look for information. Um, So if you have any ideas about where to best find information like that, that would also be great. Thanks so much. Bye. All right. So this brings up a really great question about a couple different things to think about, which are protocols and then structuring a reciprocal cycle. And to your point, similar-ish to a donor cycle in some ways. So number one is that we already said the protocol is what we consider the combination of medications. If we're talking about the stimulation, that is the act of getting the eggs to grow. So in a reciprocal cycle, basic definition, one partner is going to be the egg source, go through IVF, take eggs out of the body, make embryos with sperm in the lab, and then the other person is going to carry that embryo. 
Now, when you're trying to get eggs to grow, so different protocols for IVF in general, the standard protocol for somebody who's got a high egg number or someone who's young or doesn't have infertility is going to be a protocol called an antagonist. Protocols are named often for the suppressive mechanism. We have to remember that ovulation is triggered by estrogen level and each egg makes estrogen as it matures. So if you make more eggs, you will have a higher estrogen. And if you do not use some type of a suppressant, you will ovulate. So an antagonist is a GnRH antagonist. This means that it blocks GnRH from the hypothalamus. And GnRH is what stimulates or allows the brain to release FSH and LH. And remember, the LH surge is what the body uses to naturally trigger. So this is commonly just called an ovulation blocker or an antag or an antagonist. This medication is a shot kind of pricey. So we don't just use it every single day. We typically wait to start it until an egg or eggs are getting to the size or the estrogen is getting high enough where it potentially could stimulate you to begin to ovulate. The medications that grow the eggs in contrast are what we call gonadotropins. Gonadotropins are FSH and LH. FSH is a compound that we can synthetically make. That's your folostim or your gonolf. LH is very important in helping make steroid hormones, which is a part of the process. And it's only able right now to be made in combination with FSH. So this is a compound called Minipure. It's actually purified menopausal urine that we can extract from because FSH and LH are both really high. So at the moment, we don't have a synthetic LH that we can give. So FSH is often given in the bulk form, gonolephorphalostem, and then you're going to have some LH from Minipure. Now, in antagonist cycles, because you start that ovulation blocker later, you still have natural LH around. So you can actually do a cycle with no additional LH or no Minipure for many, many people. And in people who've got a nice high endogenous LH like PCOS, I wouldn't bat an eye at that. And sometimes that can be a cost-saving mechanism because you're just using one medication. Or when we had a Minipure shortage, which happened... I didn't even think twice about it for these antagonist patients. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Ritual. Did you know that 97% of women aged 19 to 50 are not getting enough vitamin D from their diet? Ritual's Essential for Women 18 and Plus was shown to increase vitamin D levels by 43% in a clinical study. I love Ritual and I love taking their Essential for Women 18 Plus every single day. One reason I love it is that it's gentle on an empty stomach and it has a minty essence. So every bottle feels refreshing and is actually enjoyable. It's also clinically backed multivitamin with high quality and traceable key ingredients. And they have industry leading sustainability standards. No more shady business. Rituals Essential for Women 18 and Over is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash A-A-W. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash A-A-W for 25% off. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Rocket Money. Did you know that nearly 75% of people have subscriptions that they've forgotten about? Embarrassingly, I am one of those as well. And Rocket Money can cancel a subscription for you that otherwise could have been a time-consuming process. Between streaming services, fitness apps, and delivery services, it can be never-ending 
So Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions. They monitor your spending and help you lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of 500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash A-A-W. That's rocketmoney.com slash A-A-W. Rocketmoney.com slash A-A-W. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Very often, we lead into an antagonist cycle. Or I guess I won't say very often because that's what I do. But on the whole, antagonist cycles can start when where when you're on your period, your clinic will just say, hey, when you get your period, come in, we'll do a baseline and just, I call this a cold start. Start your FSH and LH, and then you'll start your ovulation blocker later on. I do this type of cycle rarely, but I do do it, especially if somebody has a contraindication to birth control pills or additional estrogen and has a high egg count. Then there's going to be a priming, which can either be birth control pills or estrogen. Birth control, cheaper, easier, more effective, less likely to have a breakthrough in it, and the timing can be really planned out nicely. Majority of people, this works great. Estrogen can be great for somebody who either had an oversuppression from birth control or if they have potentially a lower reserve but just aren't responding to some of the other protocols, sometimes using estrogen in the luteal phase can be an option. And then you have a random start protocol, which is when you just start your medications, regardless of if you're in the luteal phase, follicular, whenever. And this is what we use often in cancer patients. We just don't have time. You will still get eggs that can be retrieved. You probably are not going to get quite as many, or there might be more dyssynchrony, but it is an option. Then we have protocols that have a suppressant before you start the stimulation, and this is commonly Lupron. So this can either be Lupron in the luteal phase alone or birth control pills overlapping with Lupron. Lupron is the opposite of a GnRH antagonist. It's an agonist. It works by stimulating the brain to send out all of the FSH and LH that it has, and then the pituitary gland has no more in its stores and you're down-regulated. I love Lupron, especially for patients with unexplained infertility, endometriosis, low ovarian reserve, or we're a little bit older. I think it gives some really nice egg synchronicity and allows us to get the follicles into a good mature range for a lot of people. Lupron can last 12 days, so it's longer acting than birth control pills or an antagonist. And so sometimes we'll stop the Lupron or halt it. So you'll use this ahead of time and then you won't use it anymore once you start the other stimulation medications. Of course, in that scenario, if you go past 12 days, you might need an ovulation blocker. You can also use Lupron the entire time, and that's just a traditional down-regulated cycle. There are other protocols where Lupron can be used in that flare mechanism as a part of the stimulation. You can use Clomid or Letrozole as a part of the stimulation. You can use antagonists ahead of time as a part of the suppressant. And these are all combinations of getting into that lower ovarian reserve or minimal stem protocol, we'll just say. 
So when we look at these different protocols, the reason why this is different is when you think about you're wanting to do an embryo transfer and you're doing reciprocal IVF. You can do a fresh transfer. So that's number one. If you're trying to do a fresh transfer, you are pairing up two people's cycles together. And this means you're both often going to have to go on birth control pills. And then one person starts their stimulation and the other person starts estrogen to start growing a lining. There are so many moving parts in this. This is a fresh transfer because one embryo will be immediately put in without being frozen. That means there's not going to be any genetic testing. And it also means all the stars have to align just perfectly. In this scenario, the transfer is always what we consider a controlled or a medicated transfer, meaning I'm giving you estrogen to grow the lining. I often make the transfer person use Lupron because there's less chance of breaking through a birth control pill and suppressant. And anytime timing is just super sensitive, that's a better game plan because you can control more. This is the scenario where the lining has to be ready or it's not. The day somebody triggers, you've got to be ready to start progesterone. And this is how we did for a long time and some clinics still do fresh egg donors. If you have a person going through to donate their eggs, then the recipient is often at the same time getting lined up to get the transfer ready. This now is not really how I practice. I can't speak for everybody, but I'm more aware of myself and I'm a controlling person and I want the best outcome and I don't want to do something just because the timing sounds good. I want to do it because it's the right time the right scenario, the best scenario. So I separate my cycle so that we can have the best selection of embryos to choose from. This means that they're going to be frozen and then we will pick one for the thaw. Very often, especially with reciprocal IVF, we're doing genetic testing because there's just so much that goes on and we want to know that we're really getting closer to our goal. Very often, this is looking like a genetic child for one partner and a genetic child for the other. And if I have no embryos and that's not going to work, we're just wasting valuable reproductive time. When you do a frozen embryo transfer, you can do a medicated cycle, which can be, as said before, growing with estrogen. So growing the lining with estrogen that can lead in from birth control pills as a timing with nothing, just start the estrogen with your period or with birth control pills and Lupron. I'm a Lupron fan if there's any uncertainty. History of failed cycles, failed IUIs, concern for endometriosis, adenomyosis, prior failed transfers, unexplained, autoimmune disease, a very specific timeline like you're leaving to go out of the country for a couple months. Lupron just controls more. You see less cycle cancellation. Patients who have a thin lining maybe need or respond better to their own estrogen. People who've had a baby in the past, so maybe you got pregnant with IUI and you carried a baby and now your partner's going through IVF to get her eggs out and she has a high egg count, so she's doing an ANTAG and yet you're going to carry the pregnancy and you've carried a pregnancy before, now I'm much more of a fan of a natural cycle or a modified natural, meaning you got pregnant in that environment with your own natural estrogen. So I want to mimic that. And that's very, very different. That's where either you're just growing an egg naturally and we're monitoring for when ovulation starts and then that starts the timeline. Or you can try to help encourage egg growth or stimulate an extra egg. And that can be with medications like gonadotropins, like FSH, or letrozole or the combination of the two. 
Sometimes these cycles use a trigger shot and sometimes they don't. In general, when I'm looking at these different protocols and trying to select them, I think very often I see patients just get filtered into a category based on presumptions being made. Oh, you're doing reciprocal IVF, so of course you want to synchronize and have a fresh transfer because otherwise you don't have infertility. Somebody just says that or makes that presumption. Well, you may say, yeah, but we really want to do the genetic testing or, oh, I have extremely painful periods. My sister has endometriosis and I have hypothyroid. I'm concerned I have endo. Always, always be an advocate for yourself. It's the complete medical picture. And just like any protocol, whether it's IVF or an embryo transfer. The protocol is the combination of medications we are using to try to get the desired outcome. Not every egg will become an embryo. Not every embryo will implant. Protocols are chosen based on certain characteristics, but the ability of a good clinic or the sign of a good clinic, a good doctor, is the willingness and the ability to pivot, change, adjust, personalized based on what you're seeing. Sometimes it's just an explanation, such as you got pregnant before with letrozole. This cycle looked great. Not every embryo is going to take. I'm not making any changes because it looked good. We just need a new embryo. That makes sense. Fantastic. Don't always have the mentality. This is such human nature. I'm guilty of it too, that something has to change. Remember when it comes to embryo transfers, the embryo itself is changing and that can be enough. Other last thing is that I see so many times patients doing the same IVF cycle with zero, zero modifications. Sometimes at clinics, doctors never review the cycles. Somebody else is choosing them. It's just pure protocol. There's no adjustment. Regardless of how your clinic is set, if you got an outcome that was less than you expected for whatever reason, either they didn't set expectations appropriate or we learned more about you, we know something new, And in that case, hopefully there's something we can change. You should get some feedback, whether it's an email or a portal message or a phone call or an appointment. If you're not asked for one, can I meet with my doctor to review the cycle to see what we could do different next time? If you're getting hard walls and no answers, consider getting another opinion. I know my patients sometimes will say, my schedule's super full. I don't want you to wait for that answer. Here's a portal message with me saying the one, two, three things I would do different in my recommendation. And then we'll keep you on the list for an earlier appointment or a day where there's less procedures and we can sneak you in. But being just left in the dark and not getting any answers and not being able to talk to your care team also doesn't make me feel very confident that you're getting the best care possible. Okay, well, this episode ended up just covering some basics of protocols and protocol selection and egg retrieval and risks, but hopefully that helped you learn a little bit more about the IVF process. If you want to call and leave your own voicemail, we would love to hear it. You can call 657-229-3672. Again, that's 657-229-3672. Leave your own question, leave your own voicemail, and I would love to answer it. You can always follow along on Instagram at Natalie Crawford MD. You can check out the website, nataliecrawfordmd.com, or follow along on YouTube. Thanks, friends. Thank you all for listening to As a Woman. It would mean so much if you could rate, review, and follow the podcast to be notified of new episodes every Sunday. I hope you learned something new. And I hope you share it with someone in your life. Be sure to follow along on Instagram at Natalie Crawford MD and check out the YouTube channel Natalie Crawford MD.
If you're interested in becoming a patient, you can also follow Fora Fertility. I'm so thrilled to have you here, part of the community that amplifies others as a woman. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com.